So as I kick off the Christmas season, uh, the sermon is entitled today, The Prophecies of the Coming Birth of Christ. You see, God never did everything, anything by accident. It was well planned out in advance. Uh, he wanted the world to be prepared. Uh, and many people were prepared, but there were some that were not. Uh, and so I wanted to share with you the idea that God had written the coming of Jesus Christ clearly in Scripture. And I want to give you that uh, so that you have that in your heart and you can present this message to a lost world. Everything that I do is meant for you to be prepared to go outside the walls here and give it to other people. Uh, and so while we've been notified by God clearly that Christ would be coming, the lost world has no knowledge of it. They're clueless, and that's where we come in to address that issue. Now, the astounding miracle of the coming of Christ Jesus proves that the inspiration of this comes from divine providence. It does not come from man. It is not the imagination of man that gives us Jesus, but it is the divine power that comes and brings it about. Uh, and Pete, Peter understood this and wrote about that, uh, about prophecy. And you can find that in Peter, 1 Peter, uh, verse 21, where he says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Understand well. The prophecies of God are delivered through human beings. It is not the human mind that delivers the prophecy, but it is the Holy Spirit through human lips that delivers the message of God. It's the object of this sermon today to demonstrate to you conclusively that Jesus Christ of the New Testament is the fruit of the tree of prophecy. There is no doubt about that. Christianity is a realization of a plan devised by God that went back in time thousands of years. Now, we readily concede uh, that the prophets themselves may not have understood the full import of what they were talking about. Uh, yet the language that they used could not refer to anyone else in history. Thus, Paul was able to persuade the Jews uh, that Jesus was the predicted one uh, out of the prophets. Look, if you would, on the board at Acts 28, verse 23. And here is uh, Paul addressing the Jews about Jesus Christ. Look what he said there. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening. That's Paul all the time. 24 hours a day, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors, when he said through Isaiah the prophet, and this is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 6. This was given 700 years before, and here's the quote that he used. Go 
to this people, this is God saying through the prophet Isaiah, go to this people and say, you will ever, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For the people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Can you imagine? God's saying, if you opened your hearts, if you opened your ears, I would heal you. You would hear the word of God. You would understand the prophecies of God. And continuing there on in verse 28, it says, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. That's what happens. You see, when God comes to you and gives you the opportunity to be saved, to hear the word of God, if you reject it, it's free will. It's free will. God doesn't comport himself to make you believe. He gives you the opportunity to believe. And that's what this is about. And so I urge you, especially at this Christmas season, to reach out to those who are lost, to let them understand this is the nature of the responsibility that, that we have. Uh, and you see it here where Paul proclaimed the boldness of God for years there, uh, doing what God had called him to do. Now, when this story is presented in its full development, men must be blind, you see, must be blind not to believe what they see. Uh, this is made clear in Scripture. If you look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12, uh, the prophet said, The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. I'm watching to see that my word is is fulfilled. Imagine that God gives the prophets the word and then he watches to make certain that the prophecies are completed and fulfilled. Uh, and he inspires them to speak the truth. Amos uh, chapter 3 verse 7 follows this as well where it says, surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. And so that's how it began. God gave his word, he gave his prophecies from the beginning of time about what would be happening. What would be happening on Christmas Day? Uh, and we're going to focus on that today and next week as well. It all begins in Scripture. At the very beginning, at the Garden of Eden, at the very fall of man. And there you see the impact of Satan as the serpent coming in uh, and bringing man to fall having sin come into this world, having man denying God, uh, being not obedient to God. And there you see the word of God so clearly indicated as to what would happen thousands of years later in Bethlehem. And there it says in Genesis 3, verse 15, and I will put enmity between you, to the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, the, the better translation of that in the original Greek does not use the word offspring, but says seed. And that's critical. Uh, enmity between your seed and her seed. 
indicating the seed of the woman. Now, there's only one place in the Bible that the word woman's seed is indicated, and that's there. That's that. And there's a real reason for that, because here, what God is indicating is that the woman will give a virgin birth to Jesus Christ. All right? It will come through her as God will impregnate her through the Holy Spirit. And you see it there because otherwise you never see the phrase seed of the woman. And here God is indicating that, yes, Satan, you will strike his heel. You will strike his heel. You will inflict pain on him, but he will crush your head. Uh, And so what an incredible prophecy that is for us as we see God beginning to lay out to humanity what is coming down the road. And it is the very foreshadowing of the virgin birth, the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man, but the seed of the woman, that God would implant his, his life, his seed in the woman. Now, you look also at Isaiah 7, 14. <clears throat> and, and what you see here is, uh, and again, this is now uh, about 600 years uh, before Jesus would be born. And there the Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now I'm sorry to tell you that I have friends that are Jews who have been told, told me that the rabbis tell them to ignore this verse. Ignore this verse. You see, it's a problematical verse if you don't believe in Jesus, because it's pretty clear uh, Jesus is giving us a sign. The virgin will conceive. Well, they don't like to say the virgin. They say, well, it really could mean a maiden will conceive. Well, what kind of a sign is that, that a maiden will conceive? Are we stupid? A maiden will conceive. Of course maidens will conceive, but a virgin will conceive is an incredible prophetic sign. Uh, and you will call him Emmanuel. And that's critical to understand because the translation of the name Emmanuel in Hebrew is God is with us. How about that? Can it be any more laid out more perfectly? Uh, This is an extraordinary prophecy, extraordinary, which confirms again the seed of the woman. No man would be involved in the creation of the birth of our Lord. No man whatsoever. Uh, And it would be done through the Holy Spirit. To fulfill this amazing prophecy of the birth of Christ, God will perform a biological miracle that would happen one time and one time only. Uh, And so as a result of this, Jesus would be born without original sin. That's it. That's the only way you're born without original sin, without carrying the DNA of a fallen human race. Look at what David said himself about his own DNA, which I think is, is, is very prophetic as well. In Psalm 51, verse 5, he said, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And that's right. You're sinful at birth because you carry the sin DNA from Adam. Uh, And so this is how every other human being would be born except Jesus Christ. This is how 
humanity would be saved. You can only be saved by a perfect, sinless sacrifice. And the only way you can be saved by a perfect, sinless sacrifice is God himself had to come down to this world and be born in a manger. That's the only way. Now, what about the timing of his life? How did that all come in? Did they know about it? Should they have known about it? Well, the quick answer is yes. If they'd been taught properly by their rabbis, they would have been prepared. But in fact, for hundreds of years before Christ, the rabbis have really stopped teaching prophetic issues. Uh, and one of the most poignant on this issue is found in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. And if you want to find out what's happening in the future to come, read Daniel chapter 9. And look at this verse here, this section of verses. Know and understand this. Now, this is the angel Gabriel speaking to Daniel. Gabriel, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, that's Jesus, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, that's Jerusalem, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come, who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. What a powerful, powerful statement, given the very timeline, the very timeline and so Daniel explains in this passage that the Messiah will come after seven weeks and 62 weeks. Well, if you understood Hebrew uh, tradition, uh, each week was seven years. And so the period of time under Jewish custom would, could, could easily be added up. It came up to 483 years. 483 years. Essentially, this prophecy states that Cyrus the Greek emperor who had been in charge of taking over uh, Israel, allowed the Jews to return to their homeland. That starts the ticking of the clock, okay? There's a precise timeline and date for that, to rebuild the city. That occurred, we know, in 457 B.C. And so all of this adds up to the fact that the appointed time of the Messiah, when he would walk into Jerusalem, you're carrying a donkey, walk with a donkey for the last time to his crucifixion, would be 32 A.D. And in fact, as other books I've read, it was in April, if you knew exactly when Cyrus had made that pronouncement. Uh, and it all ties together, because we know that Jesus was born in 1 B.C. We know he, he spent three years in his ministry, and it would all Come together. You see, the Jews had it made plain for them, but their ears were blocked. Their eyes were blocked. Uh, and so, effectively, the prophecy given by the angel Gabriel almost 500 years before pinpointed exactly the time that the ministry of Christ would begin as he walks into Jerusalem. Yet, the Jews fail to understand the clear edict of God. Now, Luke 2, verse 11 says, 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, that location of Bethlehem had also been prophesied and predicted by God 800 years before in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where it says there, uh, and there, but you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, how clear is that? Someone, the ruler is going to come, uh, one who will be a ruler over Israel who is old from ancient of times. Well, who is old from ancient of times? God alone. Only God. You understand? Now, what's so interesting is when the wise men came and followed the stars, you know, they momentarily lost the star as they came to Jerusalem. And so they go in to Herod to, the, to see the theologians there. And they ask Herod, we're interested in where your king is going to be born. So Herod doesn't know. He turns to his theologians. Well, where will this happen? And they said, well, it'll be in Bethlehem. It'll be in Bethlehem. It's seven miles down the road. Turn right, and you'll find it. But did they go seven miles down the road? Did the rulers, did Herod? No, no. They sent the wise men, but they were too good. They didn't need a, a baby. They didn't need a Messiah. And that's what you see time and time again, how the message of God is occluded because we don't hear. Uh, and so clearly the ruler coming out of ancient of times uh, can only refer to Jesus, not a mere mortal, but the Son of God. Now, but I want you to understand there are problematic issues here, all right? There's always a problematic issue in terms of prophecy. They don't just clearly open up. Here, Mary and Joseph were residing in Nazareth. She was pregnant in Nazareth. She was probably going to give birth in Nazareth. What did God think about the fact that he had prophesied 800 years before he'd be born in Bethlehem and she's in Nazareth? Why would you go to Bethlehem? Well, only God, you see. What does he do? God effectively uses a tax act from Caesar to compose and say that everyone had to go back to their town of origin in order to register for the tax. Can you believe God can use a tax assessment <laughs> to advance the gospel? That's your God. I want you to understand that. When I read this, I laughed, and I said, it's unbelievable. You know, where Jesus said, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar. Here's an example. God can take even Caesar's pronouncements and use it to advance his kingdom. And so that's what happened. He goes back and goes back to Bethlehem to register, and lo and behold, Jesus is born in Bethlehem in accordance with the scripture. Now, another example of the exquisite timing of God and the prophecies is found in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Now, this is another one, again, 300 or so years before. And there, the, the word says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, 
The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. Well, let's understand this, this, what this is saying. It's saying that when Jesus comes as the Messiah, he will come into the temple. Now, all of these prophecies take place hundreds of years before. Now, God knew that the temple would be destroyed in 70 A.D. Well, if Jesus is alive right there at 30 A.D. and walks into the temple, effectively, it's a very short window of time, 40 years in order to prove correct the prophecy of God, 40 years that Jesus would walk into the temple because after that, there would be no temple at all. This is an extraordinary short window of time when you're dealing with the thousands upon thousands of years of time in prophecy. Now, in order to understand, really, to order to understand the coming of the Lord and the prophecies that have been given about Jesus, we have to understand that the manger, the manger is the test of man's character. And I had the privilege to go into the manger when I was in Israel. And I stood there as we went underground, uh, down about 17 or 18 feet underground. And it was the most humble of places that you can imagine. Uh, it was like an opening in a cave. Uh, and, and really, I was overcome with emotion. But it is the very place where man's character is tested. Because here's the thing, if you reject the virgin birth, then you cannot be a Christian. You cannot be a Christian because all of, the, all of Christianity stands on that issue. There is no exception to this. Uh, Christ's birth was predicted flawlessly and predicted that it, he would come from a, a virgin. And I want you to understand this. He was slain before the foundation of the world. Do you understand what that means? It means before God created this world, before God created this universe, the Godhead knew that man would fall in sin. Is that clear? He knew. He had foresight. He had foreknowledge. He knew that his creation would fall. And so in love, in perfect love, God determined that the only way his fallen creation would be able to be with him would be to have the once and all perfect sacrifice, Christ Jesus. And so before the very foundation of the world, it was indicated that Jesus would come and be our Savior. And that is a critical fact that you need to know and present to people who are lost. Now, also critically important in this sermon is the angelic announcement of what would be the name of Mary's unborn son. Uh, and you know Gabriel gave that announcement to her. He said that his name must be Jesus uh, because true to his name, he would save the sinners. Uh, and now his incarnation and his crucifixion were tied together uh, because Jesus, you see, is the Greek form of the name Joshua, Joshua, Joshua means the salvation of Jehovah. Now look, if you would, when you understand this and begin to put it all together, realizing what God has done for us uh, on Christmas Day. What took place? What a great miracle. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, and these series of verses formed the bedrock of George Frederick Handel, 
Messiah. When he wrote the Messiah, uh, and I believe he wrote it in like 12 days, can you imagine? It was as if the Holy Spirit was just sitting on top of him as his pen could not stop. He used these verses as the predicate for that great song. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. Now, can you imagine that great prophecy is written about five or 600 years before Christ would be born? And let's take it apart. Let's distill those verses. What does it mean? Well, first, it means that Jesus would be born fully human. He would be a baby, and in every way, he was God in diapers. He was God in diapers. Extraordinarily incredible. He will rule over the nations. And there's no question that Jesus Christ, when he comes back as the Lion of Judah, will preside over every nation in the world. He will sit there and be the consummate ruler. Now, the Messiah, though fully human, would be also fully God. How can that be? I don't know. I'm not God. But he does. And so just as he was fully human, he was fully God. But he laid aside his prerequisites as God as he walked on this earth and took it as a human being. Now, he will sit upon the throne of David, ruling from Jerusalem and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. Make no mistake about it. When Christ comes back, he's going to Jerusalem. Uh, and when I see people today, uh, I saw a recent poll that said 50% of young people think Israel ought to be abolished. I cannot believe what's going on in this country. Do you see how Satan would, de would devolve our minds and destroy it. Let me tell you something. You're a Christian. You better be the strongest ally of Israel that there is. You, this is a critical part. I can't emphasize this enough because when Jesus comes back, that's where he's headed. And he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to preside in Jerusalem over the world. All right? On the throne of David. And then his government will be to all nations and it will be an eternal government of peace. Yes, yes, that's the way it's coming. You know, uh, goodwill to men, peace to all men and goodwill. But we understand that there's not peace. There can't be peace in this world because Satan rules. But if you're a child of God, you have peace in your heart. But the day will come when he returns as the Lion of Judah. And when he does, there will be peace on this earth. And he will rule he will rule with justice and with righteousness to establish and uphold his kingdom. That's what's coming down the road. That's what we have signed on for. God himself will bring all this to pass. Now, as we've previously indicated uh, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, 800 years before, Bethlehem was to be the birthplace of Christ. Uh, and yet, however, uh, as a means 
of eliminating the promised king of kings, Herod, once he found this out, decided that he would destroy and kill every male infant two years old or younger in order to keep himself in the throne and remove Jesus. Uh, now, Jesus, Joseph is warned in a dream about this impending debacle. Uh, and so Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt until Herod dies. Now, this prophecy is written by Micah 800 years before the birth of Christ. Now, how does God put this all together? How are these poor people who have nothing going to pick up and travel hundreds of miles to Egypt to a place where they know no one, where they have no family, where they have no ability to work? How are they going to pull this off? Well, if you're God, you see, you have the wise men. You have the wise men traveling 800 miles away, coming with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, these incredibly great, valuable gifts, coming there to present to them these gifts. It was the very gifts that God had allowed the wise men to, came to give to them that allowed them to move and transport themselves to a foreign country and stay there until Herod died. That's your God. That's how prophecy works. You understand and you see it all of the way God engineers humanity in order to make the prophecies come true. Uh, and so how can we gauge really the accuracy of these prophetic questions? Uh, it can be answered simply by one, one statement. Were they fulfilled? That's the question. Were they fulfilled? The Bible accurately predicted the birth of Christ beginning in Genesis. Uh, and on this point, Deuteronomy makes it very clear in Deuteronomy 18, verse 21, where it says, uh, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message that the Lord has not spoken. Is that clear? All right? If it does not come true, then God has no, not spoken. Uh, and so don't be alarmed when you'll maybe hear people talk about certain prophecies. If they don't come true, they're not from God. Bethlehem was the time and location when the incarnation took place. Uh, but it was not the time when Jesus came into being. He came into being eons. And he was always alive. He was always been there before time could be created. He was there before the world was created, before the planets and stars were created. He was there uh, right from the beginning. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus himself, Jesus himself was the author of creation. God made the universe through Jesus Christ. Consider this exchange that Jesus had with the Jewish leaders uh, who are all about lifting up Abraham but rejecting Jesus. This is found in John chapter 8, 58. It's an incredible statement. And Jesus says to them there, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I 
am. Can you imagine? He knew the word. He knew the word. That was the word that God said to Moses. Who shall I say sent me? You tell them I am. Oh, my Lord. What a statement. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Can you imagine being in the presence of God himself and rejecting God himself? Uh, This is what happens when we close our ears and when we close our hearts. I want you to understand something. And so this is the job that you have to present this message to a lost world. Yes, Jesus existed before anything else. He was the creative agent that put everything together. Uh, Yet he came to be incarnated as the baby in the manger. All of the prophecies and scriptures, and you know that from the road to Emmaus when Jesus said uh, to those two disciples, how foolish you are. Don't you realize everything in scripture was about me? The entire Bible was written to underline and point the way to Jesus Christ. Uh, There is no one like Jesus. This is the message of Christmas. There is no one like Jesus. When I saw the film, what would this world be like without Christmas? I can't even begin to fathom what my life would be like and what your life would be like without having Jesus. He is the center point of everything we stand for. Your entire life, your entire future, your entire eternity stands on Christ. And we need to understand this, that this is how he he is inspiring us and causing us to live. And so as as we celebrate his life and birth this Christmas, what I would say to you is go forth to a lost world. Be inspired to speak about him. Tell your friends, tell your family about Jesus Christ. Tell them about the Bible prophecies. Tell them about how thousands of years Everything was written to come together at that manger in Bethlehem. And that nothing would ever be the same again in the history of the world but for what God did in that manger. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Lord, Father, I thank you for this message. I thank you for for Christ. I thank you for impacting this world and giving us a sense for salvation that you knew that we would need it. And yet, Lord, before anything was created, Christ indicated he would be the once and for all perfect sacrifice. And so, Father, we ask you that you will anoint this message, that it resonates in our heart, that our people leave here today with a great fervor to give this message and change their lives this Christmas. Nothing can ever be the same again for any of us because of Christmas Day. We put all this in your name. Amen. Communion. And you know, communion is the most sacred bond that we have as Christians, the very link that we have with Christ Jesus. Uh, It merges our hearts and minds in devotion to Christ. Uh, No other service reflects, really, the vitality, the vital elements of being a Christian the way communion does. And so what I would say to you is this. If you have accepted, you're here today as a guest and you're not a regular part of our church, all we care about is this. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, we welcome you to take communion with us. All right? That's the test. You're here 
and you've accepted Christ, I don't care what denomination you are. I don't care where you go to church. All I care about is that Christ is your Savior. And if that's the case, we welcome you to take communion with us. And look at what, what Paul said about this. As the Lord had given him a great vision. Uh, and he said there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the wine. What does that mean? It means examining himself. This is a day for self-examination. We don't blithely uh, take communion. We don't, we don't take communion every service, and I don't uh, criticize other churches that do it, but we do it about every six weeks because we want it to be special. We don't want it to be habitual. This is not a habit. This is about us discerning and examining ourselves and coming to a determination of what Jesus did for us. Uh, and look what he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. As the Lord had given him a vision as to what took place in the upper room. Imagine, he wasn't there. He wouldn't come to faith for a couple of years after that, but he had a vision. And so here's what it says. For I received from the Lord... What I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, uh, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, let's take this theologically correctly. And what Jesus is saying there is, and what Paul is saying there is, this requires self-examination, a seriousness. We look into our lives. Yes, we're saved. We know we're going with the Lord. Yet every day we walk in an evil world. The dirt of this world comes up and soils our garments. And so the question becomes, God, forgive me for what I've done. Help me to be more loving. Help me to be more forgiving. I'm not a perfect man. I need help. That's the kind of self-examination you need, all right? Because what it does, it discerns what Jesus did on the cross. He saved you by dying on the cross. Uh, and so I want you to understand something, uh, that when this took place, when communion took place, God would decree that the Passover had been replaced by communion. You understand how important that is? The Passover, as a God-decreed act, would effectively be no longer supported by God because it had been replaced by communion. Why? Well, because the Passover was predicated on animal sacrifice. It was predicated on the old covenant. The old covenant has been replaced by the new covenant. And the new covenant is predicated on the death and blood of Jesus Christ. You understand? There's no more animal sacrifice. And so, you know, I, I bow my head to my Jewish friends and I understand 
that they still do Passover. And I would say it's now really largely a cultural act. But if you want to speak to God, if you want to reach the throne of grace, it's through communion. It's through a recognition that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. There's no other way. Jesus said it very clearly in John 14, verse 6. No man cometh to the Father except through me, period. No exception. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That's the message that this communion service speaks to me. And so we reflect on the sacrifice of Christ. We reflect on what he did for us. And so let us all take the elements together at this moment in time. First of all, take the wafer, which represents the body of Christ. Uh, And as we take it, we're going to eat it together, lift it up, and let me read these words. Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same manner, take up the cup of juice. And in that, Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death he comes. That's what this service is. This is a testimony to the world that this is who we are. We are the sons and daughters of Christ. We understand that we live because he died for us. And that's the message that you have to give to a world. Let's bow our head. Lord, I thank you that you've given us the chance to have communion. I thank you, Father, for the sacrifice thousands of years ago at the cross where Jesus committed himself to you and to us forever on that cross and died for us, and how our sins have been washed away, and how someday, Lord, we will be with you in heaven because of this gift. Let us live a life in accord with this great gift. Let let us speak to a lost world about what it means to be sold out to Christ. Let us bring others to this great position. And let anyone who has not made a decision today make this decision today to effectuate change in their lives. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.